Hi, this is Karina Ganters, host of Behind the Pen. You're listening to the audio podcast. Enjoy. Karina Gantis here, your host for Behind the Pen. I hope everyone is well. I am an award-winning author of 14 books, award-winning filmmaker. I'm a YouTuber, booktuber. I host the Author Assist show on the Artist First Radio Network. And I also run Author Assist, which helps authors everything from brainstorming an idea to publishing and marketing and promotion of the final product. Now, you all know by now that Behind the Pen is a show for anyone who holds a pen. You could be an illustrator, a writer, an artist, a tattooist, an editor, an author, and the list goes on. A musician. There we go. There's another one. Um, So anyone who holds a pen is a guest on the show. And we've had some wonderful, wonderful people. And today I have another wonderful guest. And I'm so glad she's here to talk about her novel, um, Sunflower Beneath the Snow, which is such a powerful novel. But we'll talk about that anyway. Let me introduce you all to Terry Brown. Welcome to the show, Terry. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I'm excited to, to speak with you. Um, for those who don't know, I just did a, uh, a reading of her first chapter uh, with narrations by KK, and the first chapter just absolutely blew me away. But we'll get back to the book because I want to chat with how you got there. Um, so normally we go all the way back to school. Um, what were you like at school, college? I mean, were you a creative person? Did you enjoy writing and making up stories? Were you musically talented? Uh, artist what's your other little hidden uh, gem so it's it's interesting I was I was a nerd I was that kid that you know I, I couldn't I can't hit a baseball do not throw anything in my direction I'm gonna duck and I'm gonna cover my face you know I was the last kid picked for for even I couldn't even do kickball I was the kid that would go to kick the ball and I would fall down so you know that that was that <laughs> So I definitely went for other kinds of pursuits because anything with a ball was not going to work for me. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I loved writing stories. I've got my mom saved some and, you know, they're little scribbles of of poems and and things. And and there's a poem she gave me the other day that was on the back of my grandma's uh, bank deposit slip. So she must have like fished that out of her purse or something because I needed something to write on. I wanted to be, so I was also super good at science and math, and I I actually graduated from the North Carolina School of Science and Math, my high school, that's where I graduated, and so I've had people say, well, you graduated from science and math, isn't that like just opposite of something creative, and I don't really think it is, I think that brains work in such a way that you can find creativity in just about any area. So it's not surprising. I've had so many people that are like, what, you became a writer and you graduated from there? And it's like, yeah, but just because you're good at math doesn't mean you don't write, you know? (laughs) Um, 
So I wanted to be a brain surgeon, but I also wanted to be an Olympic ice skater, which is really <laughs> funny given, you know, and I wanted to be an author. So I got one I, out of three. And I think that's yeah. pretty good, you know, given the, but then I spent the next, oh, many, many, many years not writing at all. And it was just life. You know, I went to college, I got two degrees and two minors, and none of them have anything to do with writing, because I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do with my life. So mm -hmm. I have a degree in education so that I could be a teacher, and I never taught, although I did homeschool my kids, so I kind of taught in that way. Um, I have a degree in psychology, and I've never done anything with that other than maybe it help, helps me write with my characters. Book. Yeah. Right. I have a minor in math because, like I said, I enjoyed math. And then I, I almost hate to say this, but I have a minor in sociology, but it's because I had a crush on a professor. And so I took absolutely every class he ever offered. Oh, and that how gave me are you naughty girl? Oh, my Nothing gosh. came of it. I mean, I never, he didn't even know. To this day, he wouldn't know. But, oh, he I does just now. thought he was, well, he does now. <laughs> but, but you know there, it's not like anything happened it was it was completely in but, my head but, but the class know. itself did you enjoy it oh I loved the classes I really think that I didn't have a crush on him as much as I loved his teaching style he was extremely personable bingo I, I just got so much out of the class you know he was one of those people that made everyone feel like they were the favorite student and so you know, and I, you know, I was young and, you know, he, he wore, he, yeah, he wore the tweed jacket with the patches on the elbows. Oh I mean, I was gosh. just, just in love. But anyway, that was years and years and years ago. Um, so then I got married and I had four children and um, started homeschooling, got divorced stop there yes why ahead. homeschooling why didn't you want them to go to a public school so it wasn't that I didn't want them to go to the public school my son learned to read at the age of three he taught himself and when it was time to go to kindergarten the, the school system that we lived in had just gone through this huge change and all the teachers were upset and all the parents were upset and they didn't know what curriculum they were going to use and I thought I'm not sticking him into that I'll just homeschool him for kindergarten because he doesn't even really need to be yeah. in a kindergarten program That's he right. already knows everything so I went to take him for first grade and I wanted them to test him so that he could get in some of the more advanced even if not classes some of the programs and they didn't do that in the first grade they didn't do it until the second grade so I thought eh, I'm still going to keep him at home for first grade and then I kind of got hooked and I really, really enjoyed doing it. And then, thankfully, really, my three girls all had different issues that would have made being in the public school very difficult. I have one that had reading delays. She did not learn to read until she was 10. I had one that had an eye issue where her eyes didn't track together. And because of that, it made lots of things very difficult until we did all of the eye exercises and everything. And then my youngest... Um, is on the um, autism spectrum and mm. so it would have been now she's highly functional there's you know but it would have been a difficult 
situation. And yeah, so really it worked out school. beautifully. Yeah, most so definitely. I ended up just homeschooling. Yeah. And of course you, yeah. you had the qualifications uh, to do it. So you exactly. knew about the curriculum and what you needed to teach. And exactly. Um, um, and, I mean, and what about the expense well. for like the books and stuff? Because you have to use the same books they do at school, don't you? You have to follow. No, not, a, not, you don't. not in North Carolina. You get to choose what you want to choose. Um, and so, yeah, I would try go to these different curriculum fairs and I would find things that I wanted to use. And, and we had yearly tests that they had to take and, you know, they always did well and we would move on. And so they carried um, on doing homeschooling because yeah, unless they pass yeah. those tests, they might say, I'm sorry, but it's not working out with them homeschooling. Right. You need to send right. them, but you're too, you're too good. You're too, uh, you're super mum. So not yeah, only, right, not only but, could you cope with it, you, you knew what you were doing. So. Right. So then in the midst of all that, I got divorced and um, remarried. And it was a <laughs> another poor choice. My first marriage, he and I still are friends. Okay. That's but nice. we were not good. We were not good together. Right. And we just, there was, there was no middle ground for the two of us. And mm -hmm. so it, it was better for, for us and the children to mm -hmm. not be in the same home. And then I married again and he was a real go-getter and, and he was also emotionally abusive and I didn't know that. And I lived with that for 14 years because I was not going to be divorced again. Um, and so during that time, there was absolutely no writing because that takes so much out of you I, that you can't. Yes. Yeah. I totally yeah. get you. Okay. Yeah. So in 2000, I was, I was married to him at this point, but in 2000, I started writing for small businesses. And that was something that I could do because yes, it takes a little bit of creativity, but it's mostly research. And can you get a thought down on paper in a coherent way that, you know, a customer can understand it. And so I did that. I, I'm still doing that to this day. Oh, um, wonderful. But I didn't do any of my creative stuff because I didn't believe in myself anymore. And, you know, you live with an emotionally abusive person for long enough yeah, and you, you lose, lose your confidence. all ability to believe. You lose yourself. Right. You lose confidence. Right. I get you. I hear where you come so from. So I met a friend in um, late 2016 who was going to this writer's retreat that was relatively local. And she said, you have got to go to this. And I said, yeah, but, you know, I don't. I'm not a creative writer, she said, but you've told me you want to be. And I said, they're not even going to accept me. And she said, you need to try. So on just a whim, I went ahead and put in an application and they said, sure, come on. And I got one week where I was allowed to just write. And no so distractions. No nope. Beautiful so area. 50, yeah, it was gorgeous. Yeah. Excuse me. So I wrote 50,000 words. Wow. And it was a, it was a complete story. It can't be seen by anyone because it's not very good, but it had a, a, a beginning and a middle, middle and an and end. end and it was 50,000 words and it had Perfect. characters Perfect. and all of a sudden I thought, you know what, maybe I can do this. Mm -hmm. And a couple of weeks later, things in that relationship, you know, came to a head and I left. And I think that that 
being able to write those 50,000 words actually helped me have Gave some of the courage. Courage. Yeah. Because oh, I realized, amazing. wait a minute, there's there's more in me than this. And so yeah. that was in that was in early 2017. And I have been writing ever since. And Sunflowers Beneath the Snow, which is my debut novel, is my fifth manuscript. So the first one, like I said, was more or less proving I could do it. And my second one helped me make my characters less flat. My first character was so perfect. She could do no wrong. Ah, Anything that was thrown at her. Yeah. Anything that was thrown at her, she did perfectly. She came out of it looking like those models that come up out of the ocean looking beautiful instead of looking like I do with my hair all matted and gross on my face. So fake. But but no reality there because nobody's perfect. Everyone has a flaw. And I... And I couldn't, I don't think I could let her have a flaw because of where I was in my own life mm-hmm. at that point. You know, mm-hmm. I needed her to be strong and I needed her to be perfect. And and I think that I was kind of like channeling me into there and I was trying to you be all did. things to all people. And, yeah. you know, um, and then the second book helped me, the second manuscript really helped me to kind of learn about character development. And my third one really helped me learn more about the idea of showing instead of telling, because I was a big teller. Me yeah, too. And then we so were born hard. storytellers. It doesn't matter right. how much our editor nags at us, we're going to be storytellers before we then show it. And we'll show it after we've done the first draft. And so, so my process is, I don't know how other people do it. Well, I do. I have a few friends that do it so significantly different than me that it made me worry that my process was wrong. But I have come to understand that every writer has their own process and whatever you do to get your story out works. You know, it doesn't matter. But my story is what I call, I mean, my process is what I call word vomit. Oh, so I, like that. I yeah I sit down and I just kind of and I get the whole story out and I don't worry too much about naming my characters if a good name comes to me that's great and down. if not, if not I, could call, blank line. I could call her main character or you know Ashley and I just make it yellow and I don't care because it doesn't matter um if I'm writing along and I'm going to reference a character and now I can't remember, I will put in parentheses the one in chapter one, you know, woman in chapter one, highlight it and move on. I don't try to worry about those things. If if I'm concerned about a continuity issue, I highlight and move on. It's like, gee, did I already say that? Wait a minute. Is that time period right? If I recognize it, I highlight it and just keep going. I don't stop and go back. And I usually pump out about 50,000 words, start to finish, and then I go back. But not immediately. I usually give it a couple of weeks just to percolate for a while. And then I go back and read it and think, ew. Are you you forcing yourself to write so many words a day? Or are you just picking up the pen or the keyboard or whatever when you're ready? I, I do a when I tried the every day. I tried it because so many of my friends say, oh, I, I get up early in the morning and I write for an hour every right. morning. And that is so miserable for me. That is not, I am the least structured 
most organized person you've ever met. Like I have, We're twins. I have little lists everywhere. We're twinnies. But don't tell me what time I have to do it. Like that makes me crazy. It's one of the reasons I've loved working for myself is, you know, I might have an article and I know that this week I have three articles that I have to write for small businesses. So I put it on my, I look at my calendar and I think, hmm, probably on Wednesday, but if it doesn't come to me on Wednesday, that's fine. I just have to get it done this week. And if it's on Wednesday and it happens at six in the morning, that's when I write it. But if that's it doesn't it. happen until until 7 p.m., that's when I write it. And so, no, I can't do the, okay, it's 6 a.m. and we must now write 1,000 no. words in the next hour. I, I'm the same. You're not doing anything yeah, wrong there. Do I'm the same. For me. You yeah. know, you know the, um, <clears throat> do you know the saying, um, being in the zone? Yes. And when you're in the zone, that's when nothing else matters but getting those words out, the vomit to come out. Right. And, and for me, that, that tends not to happen as much here at, at my house. I do much better if out. I've given myself this larger amount of time somewhere else where the laundry doesn't call and the dog doesn't need to go out and I don't have to worry about fixing dinner. Exactly. And... When you're in the zone, everything around you just fades away. And, exactly. and so you can't be bothered by family or chores. You need, you're, right. you're, you're, you're writing, what you're writing, what's coming out of you is gold. And you don't want right. anything to disrupt that. It could last um, an hour, it could last a week, it could last a month. When you're in the zone, you need to write because it is pure gold. Um, the characters have been shouting at you for the last two weeks of what you're supposed to write next. You haven't slept because you're just dreaming what the next site, you know, exactly. next scene is. It doesn't matter if it's five, six o'clock in the morning. If you're in the zone, if you're ready to write, you get up and you write. When I was doing, I mean, I'm 14 novels in now. And most of the time when I'd wake up and I'd have a scene, it would be five, six o'clock in the morning. I tiptoe downstairs computer will go on in the office and I'll sit there for a couple of hours to get that scene out and go back to bed. Yeah. And, and if the scene's not there, there's no reason to get up and sit in your office. Exactly. I mean, that's the way it is for me. I can't, I yeah. just, yeah. Um, I do notice though that I can get in the zone really quickly if the, atmosphere is right for instance when I go to this writer's retreat and I've been back there every year and I love it <laughs> because now when I go there like on my way there I'm anticipating this so much That's and I know place. what I'm getting into and you know you get that feeling going and then by the time you arrive I can hardly get my things out of the car because I'm so, so excited to sit to down write. and get my computer open and I sit myself down and it's like I don't know words just kind of fly out of my fingertips sometimes I'm all I feel like I'm reading them at the same time I'm typing them and I'm amazed at what's happening on the screen you know it's just it's, it it's is crazy magic. The way it's that, magic yeah. the way the words yeah. just appear and the story just writes itself. Of course, we're writing it because we're bloody brilliant. And it's our fingers. It's our creation. It's our imagination. But because we're not conscious, really, of what we're writing, it just flows. It's just, it happens. 
and it's it's like magic it's it's a, a, those people out listening to the podcast now or watching the youtube show unless you're an author you can't understand what that feels like so it's hard to get my guests to describe what it's like being in the zone to describe how they feel and and it is it's it, the only thing to to say is that it's magical something magical happens when you're in the zone and until you, you come people, out of it and then you look right. at what you've read and you're like hey that's bloody I good that. that's bloody yeah. good <laughs> so i tell people i tell people it's like having multiple personalities oh because because it's of one, all of the characters one and side words. of my brain is doing something and the other side of my brain is totally unaware that it's happening so i've yeah. got these words that are flowing from somewhere in there and they're coming out and i'm reading it as it's appearing and it's like who's writing this there's it's like the conscious part of me is is saying hey who's in there doing that <laughs> <laughs> We are, we are all a little crazy. We are a little yeah, crazy. It makes me sound but, like I need to be medicated. <laughs> well, they, well they, you know, every author says the same thing, that they hear voices, and, of course, that's being a bit uh, schizo. Um, it's not that we hear real voices. It's our brain playing the characters because as the author, whether we're doing a third person or a first person a point of view, we become the character. We step into their shoes. Everything we write about them, we're experiencing. All of their um, emotions, they're coming from us. Now, if we do our job right, when that author picks up and opens that book, they're going to be stepping into the shoes of that character. They're going to exactly. feel all the emotions. They're going to experience everything the character does. And um, I mean, sometimes it can get quite dark and you get into a dark place. But again, you sometimes need to get to that dark place to get it, the gold out. Exactly. It's sometimes then it's hard to get back out of it and go back to normal normal life. Um, but normal life can just just because we're in a total re different reality when we're right. We've made our world. It's in our head. Um, the imag our imagination and our world building, whether it's a fantasy or um, a country, or a thriller, or anything. We are building this world that doesn't exist. It really doesn't, because we're creating it. And when we have to leave that world and step back into real, real time, real world, it's like, <laughs> and and so for me this this book that i wrote is um ukrainian history 1973 to about 2016 and you know i was very involved in all the research and very involved in trying to understand what my characters would have been experiencing you know when ukraine was under soviet rule and during early independence and then during the russian invasion in 2014 well, when I woke up on the morning that Russia invaded again, this time, I, the, the emotions that I experienced, I think that everyone was distressed. Oh, but the emotions, the emotions that I experienced were completely out of, of proportion to what was actually happening in my real everyday life but it's because in that world that i had You've created been there. you you know what's they, going they on were, yes 
Yeah. What was happening was going to hurt my, my people. These were my people, you know, and yeah, yeah, I I had to kind of really think about what, like the emotions that I felt were just huge. Like I was crying and I was. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine because you've been through it in your book. You wrote about it. You made these characters go through all of that that's happening now. And that is exactly. just the freakiest part of all of this. It's such an amazing, powerful book. But how, why did you write this subject? What made you write about this before it all kicked off a few weeks ago? Okay, so there are three main women characters in my book. There's a grandmother, there's her daughter, and there's her granddaughter. The granddaughter's Iona. And she is very, very, very loosely based off of a girl that I know named Xenia. And Xenia is someone that knew my two of my daughters because they were in summer camp together. Uh, Xenia came from Ukraine to work as an international counselor. And my daughters were working as counselors at the same camp. And Xenia came in 2013 Yes, 2013, and then got to come back again in 2014, except that when she went to go home in 2014, she didn't get to go because her parents live in Crimean Peninsula, and they were being, you know, bombed. And so all flights were canceled, and they extended her green card so that she or her visa or whatever she had at the time, I think it was a visa, they extended that. So that she, you know, could get some time to, they were hoping that things would settle down and it never did. Um, So she was working to try to be able to stay here on a more permanent basis. It wasn't working out. She went to New York City and disappeared into uh, the Brighton Beach area and continued working with her lawyer. She now is here legally, but she has never seen her parents again. Oh my Um, gosh. Yeah, now she sees them this way, like Zoom and Skype and whatnot, but she has not seen them in person since. So she left her home at 19, unaware that she was never going back. Um, she can't so go back. In, she, at this point, legally can go back, but because of where her parents live, she's afraid that if she gets there, she won't be allowed to leave again because her parents are still living in the Russian-controlled Crimean Peninsula. And so she's afraid to go back and her parents are afraid for her to come back. And they've asked her, you know, please don't, because if you come and you can't leave, then they would feel horrible for having put her in a situation Mm -hmm. that could be, you know, so she left home Um, in 2016. So this is two years later. She's now allowed to be here. She has her green card. She's working. She's going to school. She came to visit my youngest daughter. And we had a wonderful visit and she was sitting in my office and she told me this incredible story about this little tiny sliver of a thing that happened to her in New York City. And I was sure that what I was hearing that I must not be understanding that between her accent and um, she has a pretty good command of the English language, but sometimes we'll use words that I wondered, I don't think that's really the word that you want. So I figured we were having this little communication issue. So I kind of really grilled her and, and, and was asking her questions. And it came out that, yes, this little sliver of a story was true. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I have, have that, that story has to be told. So 
I took that little teeny tiny sliver and then I wrote 80,000 words of fiction so that I could tell that that piece. And that piece is the very end of the last chapter, not the epilogue. The epilogue is all my fiction again, but this little tiny sliver at the very end. So I can't tell because then it would ruin the whole story. But, but that little tiny sliver is true and everything else is just, you know, Terry making up things and putting it within the Ukrainian history did, did so she that, give you so a lot of a help setting. when it came to um, research? Did you ask her questions? No, in anything? fact, what's interesting is shortly after that visit, she and I lost touch for a couple of years. She kind of went silent on her Facebook, and I didn't know how to get up with her. I We've reconnected, um, mm-hmm. which is great, but by the time we reconnected, I had already written the book. So I just kind of made things up in terms of, like, what could have happened that could have brought this culmination to this this piece? And in a way, not that I'm I'm happy that we didn't weren't, didn't stay connected, but I'm happy in a way that I don't know exactly what happened because it allowed me to create a story that based on know, fiction, the truth, but yeah, the truth is probably not nearly as as cool. You know, it it probably yeah. has some very benign reason as to why it happened. So. Let me- let I me ask you from whole... from the start when you when you first heard a story and you were like this has to be written this needs to be written yeah. uh, from how holding the final uh, uh, paperback in your hand how long did it take you five years five years yeah wow no six years five years five and a half years five and a half years yeah and... because that would have been in the spring of two thousand and sixteen. And I held the book in my hand for the first time in December of 2021. Tell me what that felt like, Terry. Oh, yeah. Do you want me to start crying right here? I mean, I I have been since, well, pretty much since uh, Atmosphere Press said, yes, we love the story. We want to work with you. So that would have been, I think, like May of 2021. From that point, until now, I have done nothing but cry. I mean, not sad tears, but like everything makes me cry. You know, they said they wanted me. I cried. I heard from my editor. I cried. I, I held my book the first time. I cried. Oh. I, you know, the first time that somebody other than a family read it and liked it, I cried. The first review I got on Amazon, I cried. I mean, I just... Emotional mess. You're an emotional mess. I've done this 15 times now. Yeah, I told my husband that this feels very much like like having a baby. Baby. You know, the pregnancy. It is. It is. You you birthed the baby. Exactly. That that nine months of being pregnant, you had five years of it. And And then it came out and the baby was born and it was yours in your hands, in your arms. And. Well, and there's so many emotions that go with that. There's there's all the pride. I mean, it's like so, oh, and then there's all the fear. I don't know if other authors feel the fear, but I, like, it was my baby. Yeah. You know, this is, this is the, the, 
this is from inside of me. And if someone doesn't like it, they're like not liking me. And so the fear no, of putting it out you there. You think of it like that. No, you've got to think of it as it's not going to be everyone's taste and not everyone right. is going to like it. That's the same well, with and every have, book out there, including mine. I realize that, you know, and I've gotten to that point now, but those, that first trying to let that go, to someone else it was like here i want you to read my book no don't touch it <laughs> <laughs> i like that <laughs> yeah when i can when... i can give you this book but you have to promise me that you're going to love it and care for it and treat it kindly and find a nice space on the shelf for it. i mean it was like it was just so hard and then you know i have several good friends who are readers that's I mean like they read so many books it just amazes me and they couldn't wait to read it and I both wanted them to read it and didn't want them to read it yeah because what if they didn't like it and then how are we ever going to sit down and do lunch together again I mean it's just <laughs> I don't like you anymore because you didn't like my book we're not talking yeah. anymore no, we're not talking. So, yeah. you know, I've gotten, I've gotten kind of past that now, but I mean, there in the beginning, it was just, and then when someone would say they would like it, first of all, I would cry. And then I was incredulous. And then I was doubtful. And then I went back and forth with it. Did they really like it? Or are they just saying it because they're my friend? I mean, it, yeah, yeah, it has yeah. been, yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, as a debut author, that this is probably pretty typical. All of this em roller coaster emotion stuff that goes on. If um, it's taken five years to write a book, yes. And if it's an author that took one week to write it, it hasn't been professionally published. It hasn't been uh, formatted. It hasn't got a fantastic right. cover, and they put it out there. Then they're not going to have those emotions because they don't understand how much all those years of blood, sweat, uh, tears, as we say, uh, went into that book, all of our, everything that we have went into that book. And so to finally have it in your hand and look at it and say, oh my gosh, I did this. I finally did it. It's here. It's, it's mine. I did it. It's mine. I mean, the first time I was 20 and I was actually in hospital and, um, my husband, he bought it from the house because he knew what it was uh, into the hospital and he gave it to me. And I was looking around, and of course, I was in a Greek hospital at the time, so nobody knew what was going on. And I opened it and I <laughs> hugged it. I hugged it. I cried. I started bouncing on the bed like this. And all these old, old Greek people looking at me thinking, what's wrong with her? And I was like, it's my book, it's my book. <laughs> soaking it again and my husband's just like oh so embarrassed, so embarrassed. i walked around with my book on my chest so they sent me a book that that said not for resale and it was it's for me proofy. to be able to prove yeah. right yeah. and so i got that book and i walked around with it up against my chest for hours that day and i would pull it out and and, and like look at the cover and see my name on it and then pull it back okay, to me okay. again and then i would open it and open it up and see like my name up in the top and it would be like and i'd pull it back to me again. <laughs> i know i understand completely but i mean the more you ride it doesn't get need it doesn't get any um easier I mean, I've just released my 14th book and I did a live opening on Instagram, on Facebook and on YouTube. 
and I was crying. I mean, this is my 14th book. You think I'd get used to it by now, but I was crying when I saw it and, uh, and I saw the cover and I was able to flick through it and, and just look at all the pretty writing and the pretty designs inside. And it's mine, it's my baby. But then you say, you think like you were saying about the fear, it was not necessarily fear. You're waiting for that first review. And you know that if that first review is bad, then your book hasn't got a chance. And so that's what I'm nervous about when I bring out a new book is the first review. Well, the first review ended up being 10 reviews, one after another, all five stars. So I was relieved. I was like, yes, yeah. yes, I've done yeah. it. No, I so, know that feeling because, you know, you're sitting there and you're waiting and, and, I bet I refreshed my Amazon page <laughs> every two to three minutes for hours, waiting, waiting, waiting. Get yeah, isn't I mean it's crazy. It the bizarre behaviors that that I went through. I'm getting better now. I finally I check my I check you Amazon. Checked maybe once a day you checked now. yourself out. You checked yourself out, did you? <laughs> you know, and and I'll look and see, and it's like okay, yeah, it's still doing okay, and and I move She's on. She's on the meds but, now, people. She's on the meds. Yeah. But in those first few weeks, I mean, I would wake up at three o'clock in the morning when normally I would just roll over and I had to check and I'd get out my phone and I would check and then I would look and I would check and my husband would roll over and say, checking on the baby. Yes. Checking on the baby. Just, you know, leave me. <laughs> oh, how is he? How is your family about it all? Have they read it? How do they feel about it? So I have four children. And my husband and my mom, who, and then some aunts and uncles and whatnot, everyone who's read it absolutely loves it. My mother was so cute. She said to me, Terry, I didn't know you had this many words in you, Aww. which I thought was, a, which was just a wonderful thing. Aww. My oldest daughter, the best compliment that I have received so far, well, one of the best, I've gotten several lately that have just sent me over the edge, but she said, you know, when she started reading my book, she was doing it because she loves me and it was more of kind of an obligatory read, you know, like, of course, I'm going to read yeah. my mother's book. Understandable. And so she was about halfway through. She called me the following morning and she said, Mom, all of a sudden, last night while I was reading, I went, oh, this is my mom's book. Aww. She had gotten so involved in it that she'd forgotten. Just, and and so for me, that was an amazing compliment that even though she started reading it because, of course, she planned to read it because her mother wrote a book, yeah. she ended up getting into the story so much that, that for a while she forgot. She forgot. And then when she thought, oh, my gosh, my mom yeah, wrote this. My mother wrote this book. And I thought, oh, that's the best compliment in the whole world. Um I think my other kids are all being polite at this point. They're kind of like, yeah, mom wrote a nice story, but you know, we're going to, we don't really think she's ever going to be anything more than just a hobby have author. They read it? Have they read it? Um, I think my son has started it. My <laughs> oldest daughter read it. My youngest daughter, I don't know. And my middle daughter, I know has not read it. Well, then so, they, do, they don't know what they're talking about. They are talking, excuse me, out of their asses. And until they actually read the book, 
and then they will be like your oldest daughter oh my god mum i'm so proud of you you've done amazing part of it is children have a hard time looking at their mom as anything more than, than the, <laughs> the woman that makes sandwiches you know and 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 says things like you can't go outside without your coat so that they can then roll their eyes at you i mean it's hard to make that switch and i understand that i mean you they've see been your through parents... this with you for the last five years they've been writing right. this book with you because when you haven't been there and you've been in the zone they're having to take care of themselves so they've been part of this journey so they must... that they're adults they're adults by the time i started writing it my baby was 18. So, yeah. you know, they really haven't been. I think that I've made really big changes. You figure I left, I left that abusive relationship in 2017, right as my youngest turned 18 years old. And so at the time they were 18, 21, 24, and 27. And in their minds, I'm still that woman. And I've changed so much that I think it's really hard for them to recognize that mom is no longer that person. I said to my son two years, <clears throat> excuse me, two years before I left the bad relationship, I said to my son, because he wanted me to leave. And I said, I just, I can't. I said, what would I do? He said, what do you mean, what would you do? And I said, well, I would end up being a Walmart greeter and I'd have to live in a cardboard box. No, not at all. And I believed that. And so you have to remember for my children, they've not been with me every day to see the, the changes that have happened. And so I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, that in time they realize that their mother is actually an author and not just a hobby writer, but you know, We'll give them some time um, to adjust. While you've been while you've been chatting, I've gone over to Amazon just to check, and you're on fifty nine reviews now. Um, yep. Four point nine. I got another one since I looked last. Fifty nine reviews, four point nine, which is amazing to keep all of those uh, up nearly to to five um, ratings um, with fifty nine reviews, and just one of them here it says. As I write, Russian troops are invading the independent nation of Ukraine. This backdrop compelled me to hurry up to read the book for insight into the current conflict. I'm glad I did. It tells a complex tale of three generations of Ukrainian women trying to make a life amidst international strife. The coincidences are uh, studifying, but the author claims that the general narrative is true. The story reminds us of enduring power of faith and family and the potential for good in a human relationships, the need for undividing perseverance and hope, and the impact of geopolitics in the life of individuals. And uh, it's a really, really long review, actually, probably as long as the book. But um, she basically says that. Um, Readers need to be organizingly religious to appreciate Brown's narrative, but an openness to some kind of higher power is, I think, necessary in order not to fight it. Religious and spiritual readers will love it, and I hope it will achieve some kind of the following on the margins as well. The deft and hopeful storytelling encourages us to perse persevere in openness to what tomorrow might 
offer. It would have took me 10 minutes to read this review. It is huge. I only saw the beginning of it and I thought, oh, yeah, I'll just read this out. <laughs> but that is, I mean, yeah. that's fantastic to, to have that many amazing reviews. Um, have you got any editorial ones yet? Yeah, so I've gotten seven editorial ones. Um, got to get them up on it, uh, Amazon. Yeah, and so I've got one. Uh, the Kirkus review is the one that makes me the laugh the most because they, you know, getting a Kirkus review is very exciting. And then they said this. Um, I'm going to read it here. It says, yeah, um, there was about the very end of the story. You know, my ending, the true part, they said there was a great deal of improbability in that portion of the tale, which makes me laugh because, because it is the, the only, only portion of the tale that's oh true. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So, it's and a bit weird, though. Is, yeah. And that's what I tell uh. people is, you know, truth is stranger than fiction a lot of times. And so I that's why I felt that little true nugget needed this story around it because it's one of those it's one of those things that when you hear it you're going no way no way and and it was true the rest of it's not and it's so funny because they feel like the rest of it's probable and this this little piece is improbable so I You've love bringing up that I got that <laughs> 11 11 reviews upon amazon.co.uk oh I didn't know that fantastic there you go so if you do that 59 Plus 11, add it all up, it's getting there. Uh, you've got to go yeah. to BookBub, check the reviews over BookBub um, and Goodreads. And I think yeah. if you... Goodreads, Goodreads is getting some. I don't know that I have many at BookBubs yet. Um, I was shocked when I went over to BookBub. I didn't think I'd have any for my new book. I had 49 waiting for me. Wow. So, now, pop I over there, Terry. Because <laughs> I just... Yeah, I'm just... Like, I didn't even know BookBub existed until January. So, you know, I am so new and so wet behind the ears. I don't know if people even know what that expression is. But, I mean, I am so – I don't know what's going on. And but You're like all debut authors. Unless you're an amazing yeah. marketing and promotion person, you have no idea what to do now. Your no. book is there. You've got it in your hand. But you want people to read it now. You want to make some sales. You want to make uh, people um, emotional like you are from the story, especially with it being so relevant to what's going on now. Um, we need to get that book out and, and people need to buy that. They need to read this story to understand I, what these Ukrainian people are going through at this time. Exactly. Exactly. I wrote, um, I was asked to write a guest post on my book and how it relates to the current conflict. And so I wrote it from the point of view of like how I'm feeling about things and what I hope my book can do. And based on the reviews that I'm getting and what people are saying, when they walk away, they feel like they know someone in Ukraine. And because they feel like they know someone, they now have a reason to care about Empathy. what's happening there. You're giving yes. empathy so to your I'm, readers. I want this book to create, to do two things, to help people understand a very basic what's going on Russia, Ukraine, and what's been going on for years. Kind of a, like a, a very, very basic overview to kind of give people a, a, 
a, a frame to hang what's happening. And then I want them to come away with compassion and empathy, because I honestly believe the only way we get rid of war and hatred is through compassion and empathy. And if my mm -hmm. book can help even one individual feel more compassionate toward Ukrainian people and the plight that they're in, then I think that it's done what it needs to do. So, um, Terry, where else can we find the book? Is it just on Amazon or is it wide? Is it everywhere? Um, it, it's going through the Amazon program that allows it to be in a lot of different places. I know it's on Barnes & Noble. I know so it'll be on iBooks. It will be on um, Kobo. It'll be on Google Play. Brilliant. You should be able to find it pretty much wherever you find books. And if you find, if you want it to be somewhere and it's not, by all means, get up with me. Go to my website, www.terrymbrown, that's Terry with one R, dot com. And I've got a contact page and let me know, hey, I looked for it at and can't find it. And then I'll see what I can do about getting it there. So. Wonderful. Terry, it's been wonderful chatting with you. And I know we can go on for at least another hour once we finish the record because we've gone well over time already. Um, I wish you all the best with this book. Um, you're a debut you. novelist, but what you've written about and how strong and powerful it is, it, it's wonderful. And I think uh, if we can get it to the right people, I think you can, you can see some magic happening with this book. Uh, and I Fantastic. really, really thank you so much. Best, and I shall do my, my bestest to get it out there to the masses. Thank you so much for being a guest on Behind the Pen. Thank you for having me.